From the city of brotherly love. And the great state of Ohio. This is Dadline. I'm Michael Sperger. And I'm J.C. Wilson. J.C., we're back. We we are back. My goodness. And it's the 1st of October. <laughs> One ping only, Mr. Vassetti. One ping only, please. Oh, we could do like an October uh, movie fest. We could do the Hunt for Red October. We could do October Skies. I am all out. <laughs> Is Gene Hackman in any October movies? He has to be. He has to be. I, there, we'll have to check that out. I, I think IMDb is our next stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go, by the time we get to the outro, we'll have that figured out. So, JC, in the spirit of striking a, an optimistic tone, what has gone well for you since we last connected here on the pod around Father's Day? What's gone well in the month since then? I think we do have to preface that with Father's Day feels like it was a long, long time ago, Michael. We had Father's Day around the time that we had the last Olympics in Rio. That's my belief. That's the way it feels. I, I got to say, I think that since Father's Day, which was a long time ago, um, at least in our household, we've done a few things to get a little more settled in our home. That's been good. The kids have done some fairly limited activities. My my son's done some scout stuff and my daughter has done some scout stuff and she's uh, played some soccer. Uh, I hate to, I hate to take a tone with it, but that's, uh, that might be the extent of it. We've, we've kicked off school, I guess. That's something, right? You're doing virtual school. We are doing virtual school. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. How about on your end? One thing that I really treasured from the last couple months is that my wife and I took a weekend trip away uh, to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which was a shockingly cool little town to visit. And you and I talked a little bit about this afterward at the time. We're at a stage now with COVID where there are kind of established rules for being out and about. And if you're following the rules and everybody around you is following the rules, then it's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's different from the way things used to be, but you can, you can do stuff. You can live a bit. And our weekend away was a good, you know, it actually, it actually was a restful, uh, weekend, which I could not say for some of the earlier attempts at, uh, travel or vacation earlier in the summer, which were very stressful. Maria, our art director and occasional guest, uh, started her fashion design program, which we talked about in the spring. And so far, that's going great for her. Very happy for her. That's excellent. Yeah. I got into the habit of taking really long walks in the evening before bedtime uh, for part of the summer. I'm not doing them right now, but it's something that I'll probably come back to because I was very happy to discover that it's not much of a thing for me to go out and walk like five to seven miles in an evening. And when I do, that runner's high endorphin thing kicks in after about an hour, and I feel great. See, uh, that's excellent. There are things that are coming out of this, I think, that are uh, emerging as trends. And I think there's the, the the what is there, the sourdough bread trend that was there for a while. There's the exercise trend. We actually fell victim and, and got a puppy. So we have that going for us on our end. Um, you and everybody else. There are so many puppies out oh, there. It was almost impossible to get this one. We had to go out in the middle of nowhere, uh, but she's fantastic. And she doesn't bark nearly as much as my dog. So, you know, hey, welcome to the family, Bella. Welcome, Bella. I think one of the things that also has gone well here for us is, you know, we've actually been four of the five from my nuclear family have been together in the house for six months now. 
Um, our daughter Maria came home from college on St. Patrick's Day. And I think for everything we're up against, it's gone pretty well. We're managing to live peaceably together. And, you know, it's awkward sometimes and the whole thing is awkward, but we're making it work. And I think that's important, right? That I know that in our little house, aside from the fact that we're in a new place and, you know, the kids are kind of back at school with a virtual thing going on, we are kind of all in the same house all the time together. And it hasn't been awful. We've we've found ways to coexist. And even with the, the early teen years that I'm enjoying a great deal right now, um, we're all generally having a good time and keeping things civil. So that's something that I think that is uh, underrated and perhaps underreported in this event. You know, one of the reasons you and I got into the podcast in the first place, uh, <laughs> such such blissfully naive souls we were back in January, we had this notion that we wanted to do a podcast specifically because some of the friends in our lives are not able to, were not able to get out and socialize on a regular basis. And so here we are starting the second season, and I wonder what you're thinking and experiencing when it comes to, you know, feeling isolated uh, as you're spending all that time in the house, and especially because you just moved. Like, you guys picked up and moved uh, um, at the beginning of lockdown and and are now living, I mean, you lived there when you grew up, but you're living in a whole different state, in a new place. What's that like? It has been a challenge, I think. Um, one that my family has, has definitely risen to meet. Uh, I can't say enough that it's fantastic to be really close to family. My parents are within, you know, a mile. And I think, you know, my brother's a mile away. It's it's all very close, and that's been fantastic. We've we've established a bubble with my my family and my immediate family, and that's been great. But I will say that for the kids, especially, it's already tough to be the new kid. But can you imagine being the new kid in a virtual school? There's just not a way to even sit down at lunch with somebody and say, "Hey, do you like video game X?" So I feel like at least in that regard, there is a certain level of isolation. And I think that that is a very large challenge for us right now, even though in our our little home and our little nuclear unit, we're doing really, really well. You do need more than that to keep yourself going and keep yourself sane. So I'll say that that's been an interesting challenge. And again, the, the kids are working hard at it. And my, my daughter's made some friends through through uh, soccer and down the street. So every day she goes and rides scooters with a, a girl from down the down the way and you know, that's great. But still, we are talking about a level of isolation that that none of us have really kind of been through before. So that's, it's been different. It's been very, very different. Now, I know as we were getting ready for this season, um, that issue of isolation was much on your mind. Um, so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, you know, what you see as we look ahead for this season of Dadline. So one of the things that I think is really important to us right now as human beings existing in this particular point in time, we need community. We are herd animals by instinct. And the fact that we have something that's keeping us from doing what we would normally do. I mean, think about the number of just random people you would talk to in an average day in the the, the before times, if you will. It's very strange not to have those same interactions as we did. And it's even stranger when our existing communities are somewhat cut off from each other. The move aside, I'm not sure that the the folks that we all hang out, hung out with in general would have created bubbles together because you have to kind of keep that small and you have to keep that in control. And that, I think, as I look at a larger theme 
for us in the podcast and, and what we've taken as sort of our mission is we have to find a way to create community and to bring ourselves together in a way that not only fights the basic sense of isolation, but provides something that is very human, which is that that urge, that desire, that need to lean on others and to prop others up. Because it's just as important to give help as it is to get it. Absolutely. And I want to point out that, again, without intending it so, this podcast itself has become a way for you and I to stay connected. So we're sitting here on our our computers about 400 miles away from each other, um, talking like we're in a room having a conversation. And I'm really grateful that we happened to do this thing when we did. Because I find that it's a great excuse for you and I to stay connected. We're both busy people. We've got, you know, demanding jobs. We've got family commitments. And we agreed to do this and to keep doing it. And I'm just really grateful for that right now. I want to point out that you and I got to know each other in the context of a group hangout here in our town. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit more. We've we've heard from the gentleman before, but I, I'm I, talk about your experience of how that group got going. So what is so interesting about this is really the linchpin of the gentleman comes down to our friend Greg. When I first moved to Jenkintown, uh, I remember my wife meeting a couple of different people, and she said, "Oh, you need to meet this one guy. He's hilarious. You'll love him. You guys will hit it off." And sure enough, we really did hit it off. Greg's son is the same age as my son, and his daughter, uh, who is older, practically adopted my daughter, who was much much younger. And we we still refer to her as Saint Julia around our house. Having met Greg, I had the opportunity to meet our our friend Jason. And he was involved because like Greg, his son is my son's age and his younger son is my daughter's age. So there were all these little connections that eventually brought us to, you know, of course, our good friend Marcus. Marcus's son was on my or actually his daughter was on my son's uh, soccer team. And the two of us would sit there and, you know, make snide comments and and complain about the other team and, and bad calls by the ref and whatever, and just basically make fun of everybody. And he just seemed to be such a cool person. But it's so hard to make friends and establish something. So eventually, all of these people kind of got mixed together through a bunch of, of youth activities. And of course, you know, you and Greg go way, way back. And you and our friend James go way, way back with Greg to, to high school. So there was this strange little network that formed itself around kids' activities, guys who like to drink beer, and people who sort of, you know, at least in, in your case, had pre-existing relationships. But we're able to bring everybody together in this this circle of uh, you know six guys that normally probably wouldn't have had much of a chance to bump into each other, and we did form a nice little nuclear group. We still talk on our group text chat, you know, pretty much every day. It's been a fantastic experience, certainly for me as someone who moved into a community and really didn't know anybody, um, to have a, a very tight knit group of, of friends come together sort of out of nowhere. I want to note first off that my Friendship with Greg is definitely a pre-existing condition, um, and, uh, and I'm thankful every day for Obamacare. Um, <laughs> related to that, though, we had gone as a group uh, to Trivia Night at one of the local bars a few times, um, and that would have been around 2015-16. And I know the timing for when we shifted into high gear because there was an article that was published in the Boston Globe uh, that I came across in my travels online, uh, written by a guy named Billy Baker. 
who is a reporter at the Globe. And Billy received an assignment from his editor to go off and study the question of middle-aged men and loneliness. Uh, He took great offense to the assignment because he felt he'd been singled out for reasons that will become clear later. And so he wrote this piece about, you know, how threatening it is to middle-aged men and their health to experience loneliness. I remember sending that article around to everybody. I, I also remember sending it around to everyone's wives and saying to them, okay, we need to start getting the guys to hang out on a regular basis and you need to support that because otherwise we're all going to stroke out <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Yes. And, for, and from that point on where we had this run for a couple of years where we were, we were getting together for trivia night and then we were getting together at James's house and he would make us cheese fries. And that was good. I mean, so good. your belt has notches. It's meant to be a variable tool, right? I, I paid for the whole belt. I'm going to use the whole belt. Exactly right, sir. So, <laughs> As we were talking about isolation and community as as the theme for this season, I thought it would be great to reach out to Billy and see if he would be willing to spend a few minutes talking with us. And this was one of those moments where I sent the email and I held my breath. And then a couple days later, I got a reply and I was afraid even to open it. It was like college acceptance all over again. <laughs> and I clicked on that email and he was like, I'd be delighted. Um, so without further ado, let me introduce Billy Baker. I was uh, I was a lord to an office at the Boston Globe magazine with one of the oldest lies in journalism, which is this promise that we have a story you'd be perfect for. And when I uh, sat down, uh, the story they laid on me was, we want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends. You know, it kind of stung at first, like, you know, what, what, you know, what, what, what are you saying here? That I, that I have no friends? Why would I be? I have plenty of friends. You know, like uh, all the, the panicking in that moment, because already... I could see how I maybe was, in fact, perfect for that assignment. And it wasn't due to being unique in any way. It was the opposite. It was feeling like I was an all-too-common story. At the moment I took on this assignment, I was 40 years old. I, uh, you know, I had a lovely wife and two young boys and a house in the suburbs, and things were going great. With that one glaring exception, which is at the end of uh, end of the day, I really didn't have anyone to hang out with. The first thing I did was, you know, rifle through this inventory in my head of all these people that I, I think of as great friends. And what they all shared in common was that I just wasn't actively friends with them anymore. I just, you know, wasn't seeing them. It was a special occasion to see my friends. And so the first thing I did was to set out to fix that, to stop, uh, to make friends a priority on my in my daily life, the same as exercise might be, or spending time with the family, all, all these important things. I made friendship an important thing as well. And I started that quest with the friends from my friends from the past, you know, my best friends that all of a sudden I felt guilty about not seeing. We put in a ton of effort to try and get these relationships back on track. And and we did. I I was successful in a lot of ways. But what I realized was I lived in a new community. It was about an hour from the one I had grown up in. I needed to build in my new life. I needed to build friendships here, which put me in that very awkward category of trying to make new best friends. What I really had to invest my time in, invest my emotional energy in 
was not rescuing my best friendships from the past, but making new best friends out of these people that were part of my daily life already. So I, I basically asked these 12 guys that I knew, some of them very loosely, you know, I sent them like invitations in the mail. I was like, you know, hey, I'm inviting you to join this uh, this secret club I'm starting where you meet me on Wednesday night at this barn. And sure enough, they all came. And those new best friends are the people I spend time with on a daily basis. They are the people I hang out with, you know, on a Friday night when you're like, God, I could go for a beer right now. It's those new guys that that I'm spending time with. And that, I don't know, the weirdest part of this whole journey is that um, I, I strengthened new friendships and kind of let some of the old ones stay as they were. And along those lines, how well or how poorly suited do you think we are to this work of making new friendships in middle age? And why do you reckon that might be? Well, I think we are very well suited because there's a lot of great things about getting old. I would have thought there were none, but uh, one of them is that you're old enough to be honest. I felt like comfortable to be honest telling guys I barely know, like, hey, I really like you. I'd like to be your friend. And I think they were comfortable enough to receive it. There's something about getting to the other side of 40 where you can finally take off that armor you had to put on to get through adolescence and early adulthood. And and a term I use a lot in the book is that it's where you gravitate from being a, uh, a man's man to a guy's guy. And there's a nice feeling of getting to the point where, you know, you've you've crested the peak of all that crap and you can let your guard down and be a guy's guy, you know, say yes. And it kind of make things flow. It, it's a matter of, um, I, I wrote extensively about it, but it's something I still see myself struggling with the, all the time where it's like, uh, you know, I'll walk out of a situation where it's like, why, why was I so aggressive or competitive there? Why was I in men's man mode? When, if I just gone in there as a guy's guy, I think things could have gone, smoother but in general i do think like i feel you know uniquely well equipped to have taken on this journey at this point in life and a lot of it has to do with that simple fact of being you know old enough to be honest and to have dropped the facade of trying to you know play it cool what did you find that turned out to be more or less important as a basis for making new friends? So, for example, was it important that people be relatively close in age or have similar interests? Talk about some of those factors that you learned about along the way. Well, you know, friendship, you know, is like any romantic relationship. There, There is sort of a spark necessary, right? And you kind of know when it happens. And for me, the thing that mattered the most was then putting in the effort. I mean, my book is called We Need to Hang Out. And there there's different ways to read that title. It's, you know, you'd say we need to hang out. But also like that phrase in general is something you hear uttered a lot as sort of an empty promise, right? <laughs> like you see someone you like, you haven't seen it forever. Oh, it's so great to see you. We need to hang out. And that's usually like, empty promise, right? It's like telling someone, I like you, I wish this could work out. But we both know it's not going to. So what what really mattered for me was to not do that to actually say we need to hang out and then make it happen. You know, instead of saying we should go get a beer sometime, let's let's 
literally open our calendars and put it in the schedule right now, you know? So it was little things like that, which is, it's an, it's a little bit annoying. It's a little bit, I mean, there are definitely times on this journey where I've definitely, where I've been coming on too hard, you know, and you can smell that a mile away. If someone's kind of charging hard at you to want to make something happen, want to be your friend, it's a, it's a turnoff. Same as it would be in a romantic relationship. But if you play it cool and do nothing, you know, that, that, that's another night where you're gonna, you know, wish you had someone uh, to go fart around with and you, and you won't. There was a comment that you made in your the column that you wrote in March about the outset of the lockdown. And I believe that you said in that column that one of the things you've learned about social media is that we're not really meant to all be in the same room on kind of like a species level. So I, I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit and talk about what you meant there. And it really is on the species level. I mean, every statement you make on social media kind of has to work for anyone who might possibly read it, you know, and that's not how, how this, this human animal, this homo sapiens was, was designed to, to communicate. The shortest way to explain it is like, if you go, you know, hang out with someone one-on-one, how often do you get into a real polarizing argument? But like that happens day to day on Facebook, because even, you know, if you say something that 99 of your friends agree with, like one may adamantly disagree. And next thing that's dominating the discussion, that, that's where it's gone. And it, it's like, it's an easy, unwinnable war to take on each day. But, you know, if we're not all in the same room, if we're all in these smaller rooms with people that we uh, naturally get along with, you know, I, I feel happier at the end of each day that I haven't entered in these big, huge discussions where uh, everybody's wrong. And the only thing everyone seems to be good at is pointing out how wrong others are. Last question for you. What advice would you offer to people who will hear this interview and might be struggling right now in their lives with loneliness and isolation? I mean, the first thing is to recognize that you are not alone. You you are part of what is a a legitimate epidemic. And the next thing I'd say is it, it takes effort to get out of it. It takes effort to make a friend, to keep a friend, to revive a friendship. It doesn't just happen. I think for much of our lives, our early lives, friendship is something that just happens. You know, you you have friends from school and sports and, and wherever. You're surrounded by peers. You're surrounded by those in-between situations as well. Like, you know, when you, when you think about making friends in school or at sports, it's not in the games or in the classroom where it happens. It's in the bus rides. It, it's in the locker rooms. It's in these in, in-between spaces those things are kind of lacking in adult life. So you have to put in the effort to get yourself somewhere where the interactions happen and the space in between the interactions happen. So something that was wildly illuminating in the original article I wrote and something that's been a guiding principle um, every moment since then is the difference in the ways that men and women interact. So there are the, you know, it's, it's a known thing sociologically that, women talk face to face and guys talk shoulder to shoulder. 
bar stools and box seats are basically built for guys to sit shoulder to shoulder and look out at the world together. And so if you're a man, you need to find situations where you can put yourself shoulder to shoulder with other guys in a way that will make you comfortable. The activity is what brings you together. It's those in-between spaces where friendship can happen. And then you need to follow through on it. Like it, it, you know, when you feel that spark, I'd spoken about it earlier in the conversation. It's the same as what happens in a romantic relationship. You feel the spark where this person is meant to be something more than an acquaintance. You have some sort of connection. It's those moments, getting those moments, and then, you know, working to schedule or, or do it again. I make friendship sound like uh, it, it's another, you know, um, another task to be added to the daily workload, but really it's the great joy, you know, like it, it's such a joy to have added friends to my daily life. It makes work in trips to the grocery store <laughs> and, you know, looking for my kids' shoes because they're, they're, they're late for whatever. It makes all those things that much better. It, it, it's, the person I was at the beginning of this journey and the person I am at the end are, are two completely different people. And I'm so thankful for having been forced onto this quest by an evil editor who conned me into his office with the promise they had a story I'd be perfect for. Well, Billy Baker, still nursing a grudge against editors everywhere, uh, has a new book called We Need to Hang Out, A Memoir of Making Friends, which will be released on January 26th, 2021. Billy, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So, JC, I think one of the things that really stays with me from that interview is Billy's observation that men like to stand shoulder to shoulder looking out at the world together. I mean, it's amazing that he said that. And our cover for the podcast is you and I doing just that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I also take to heart his his observation that it helps to have a task or a project like this. So here yes. we are. Here we are just unwittingly living in Billy Baker's world. His comments on social media have really caused me to change my habits already. I, I've gone ahead and, and just completely backed out. I mean, I still have accounts on Facebook and Twitter, but I am not spending time there. I already wasn't going to spend time there before the election, but now I'm really not doing it. You know, when he talks about how we're not meant to be in the same room all together as humans. That's something, right? I never thought about it that way. And, you know, the, the other thing that really got me I, I reflecting on it afterward is that you would think that authenticity and like switching contexts were kind of at odds with each other, right? Like the mm -hmm. idea that you're a slightly different JC with your wife than you are with your kids, than you are with your boss, that maybe that is a source of inauthenticity. And after talking to Billy, I think the opposite is true. I think we're most authentic when we can be fully present with whoever we're with in a moment. And the more people we have to be with in a moment, the less authentic we can be. It, it allows us to be multifaceted and it allows us to bring out different little bits and pieces and colors of our personality in those different settings. And that does make for a whole person. We contain multitudes, sir. We contain multitudes. This is what I've heard. Yes. That's what I've heard. Uh, and I think, and I think, for our purposes for this season, Billy's work really points toward the importance of small rooms, which kind of brings us back to our bubbles, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the, we don't we don't love the imposition of the bubbles right now, but they contain a truth, right? Whether it's a physical or virtual space, a small gathering with a common task uh, seems to be what really works for forming friendships. 
as I'm looking ahead to the season, which will run from now until Father's Day, the Lord willing and the creek don't rise, the project that we're setting up for ourselves, the task that we want to go after in common is, I think we want to take a closer look at small rooms uh, and, and community as it exists, especially in online settings, because that's the easiest option that's available to us right now. You know, I, you and I, you and I are of an age when we can remember being active on Usenet groups, um, which just offered infinite variety uh, for affinity groups. And you know, if you look beyond the big social media titans, you've got communities of interest out there for Harry Potter slash fic and knitters and. Mazda owners, and there's there's just all these different little groups that people have, uh, uh, and a thousand flowers have bloomed. Oh, absolutely, and and I, as someone who uh, met his wife through a very niche technical workers website, um, yeah, I think there's definitely room to to open that up and to to see what happens uh, when you get people from different places with different points of view aligned for something in common. You know, you put that common task in front of them and see where see where you end up. Tell me that you met your wife in an OS2 warp forum. I can't say that that was the case, but I I will say the technology for allowing Unix-based systems to print on Windows boxes, that played a, a role in our relationship. Oh, uh, we're going to be unpacking that later. As we head into the season, we want to hear your stories of community uh, and also how you're dealing with isolation. So give us a call on the deadline. The number is 412-684-DADS. That's plus one, 412-684-3237. We have asked our operators to stay home under mandatory quarantine because they all went to a rugby game and had close contact with each other. Um, But go ahead and give us a message and we'll pick it up as soon as we can. And remember to subscribe to Dadline wherever you go to get your podcasts. Remember, every time someone subscribes, a Usenet group gets a new moderator.